Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal at the Res Talk podcast to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights on the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings. To the ResNet community, this is one of the ways we want to hear you and wish to engage. And this is one of the new ways, it's actually been going for a couple years now, the Res Talk podcast, one of the new ways ResNet will communicate with all the stakeholders. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance market for over 30 years now and been interfacing with the fine team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. Challenges. Achievements. Most of us enjoy tackling challenges, especially creative people like architects. Now, combined a creative design challenge along with surpassing a HERS score of 30 and other stringent criteria and things get really interesting. And then go ahead and beat that target score with a net zero achievement and have the winning plans freely shared with the public as part of the contest. Now, that's really joy and achievement. Today, we're speaking with Mark Hartman, Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Phoenix. He created a unique competition for Arizona architects to encourage the construction of ultra-low energy use homes. This was in support of the 2050 Sustainability Goals by the Mayor of Phoenix and the Phoenix City Council. He worked with Carolyn Lobo, who is also interviewed here today. She's formerly the leader of the American Institute of Architects Arizona to hold this sustainable home design competition. The goal was set for a near net zero home, a home with a HER score of 30 or less. And Marlene Immersian of Immersian Architects, who was also interviewed here today, created the winning design of an affordable three-bedroom home that went way beyond and achieved a HERS rating of zero. Now she calls the home, Home NZ. Now please lend your ears to this interesting story and feel the energy and joy that I sensed recording this podcast live at the ResNet 2020 Home Performance Conference. Listen in. I think you'll find this very interesting. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So we have three people here, three guests, and we're actually in Phoenix, actually Scottsdale, at the ResNet Conference 2020, and this is where the conversation is being recorded. So I'd like everyone to introduce themselves, and I'll start on my left. Carolyn, tell us where you're from and what your role was in this project. I'm Caroline Lobo, the principal of Soul Architects, a firm in Phoenix. And at the time that this competition was launched, I was the president of AIA Arizona. And Mark Hartman, I'm the chief sustainability officer for the city of Phoenix. And uh, it was kind of my, I guess, initial thoughts and ideas that kind of brought about the idea of the competition. Very cool. And Marlene? Marlene Emersian. I'm principal of Marlene Emersian and Associates Architects, and I entered the competition. So it was a competition. How many different contestants were there? There were a number of people that applied, and actually we got questions from a number of architects that actually said, I think this competition is too difficult. We don't think it's possible. So we're just letting you know that we're emailing you and saying that we're not going to join your competition. Wow. Uh, so it was <laughs> kind of interesting. It's like, okay. I was surprised to got that kind of feedback. It was probably about, I think, five or six different architects said that, but nine entered with actual proposals. Did anyone enter from out of the area, or was it all local? It was all in Arizona. All in Arizona. Okay. And this competition started in 2016? Yes. And the award was given to Marlene, and what year was that? That was in 2017. Maybe Carolyn can tell us, what was the role of the AIA at that time? I kind of want to give you a brief overview of Mark is kind of a visionary in thinking about how do you make sustainability happen in Phoenix? And you were from Vancouver, right? 
Mark had received, I believe, a grant from the Department of Energy, and he and I were kind of talking after a City of Phoenix Environmental Quality Commission meeting, and he says, hey, what do you think about this idea of uh, having a competition on sustainable home design and architects participating in it? And I looked at him, and I'm like, okay, that's a pretty nifty idea. <laughs> and I started thinking about it because I felt like this was an awesome opportunity to reach out to the masses because there's so much misunderstood with this word sustainable, and people don't really have a good understanding of sustainable design. For them, sustainability, or for most people, sustainability is all about products. It's about adding more to your home or just adding solar onto your home and then calling it a sustainable home. And I felt like getting architects involved in this whole idea of good design and looking at alternative ways to design a home would be a great way of educating the masses of how you could fine-tune a simple home and make it sustainable. So that's how it all began. And then Mark and I continued to talk. And since I was the president of AIA Arizona at the time, I thought it would be good for me to kind of bring it forth to the board and talk about it more to see if everyone would latch onto it and we could make it happen. Was it warmly welcomed by the board? There were a lot more questions because, firstly, I don't think everyone understood how much was involved in doing this and whether they had to do this for free or whether there was a price tag attached to it. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of rigor involved in designing any project for that matter. And when you're doing a sustainable home, there's a lot more involved in the technical aspects of it as well. And you have to be well-versed with what you're putting together. So there were those questions. And I guess after all those questions got answered, it was pretty unanimous to partner with the city of Phoenix, the largest in the state, and to push this through. Marlene, what were the criteria for the design, for the contest itself? What kind of criteria did you have to achieve? I'd say the the most defining criteria was to meet a minimum HERS rating of 30. Okay. And so I think that was the first reactions that were given from other architects that were told and researched it and said, HERS 30 is just not possible. So that's just a ridiculous criteria. And in fact, my first phone call told me that same thing. We're very experienced in sustainable design, but HERS is fairly focused on single family and residential ratings. Mm -hmm. And so I did not have experience with it, which is another reason that made me very interested in learning about it. And my first call was, well, yeah, we know all about that competition and that 30 rating is just not achievable. So you pushed back. So that's made me do it. That made you do it. Great. Yeah. And the challenge. <laughs> wow. And, and I'd say the, the key defining factor is it's HERS 30 without solar. So prior to adding any solar, so we are acquiring a significant building envelope. And that was probably where most were stumbling. And that's when I got comments on saying it's not possible to get a below HERS 40 in Arizona. But the, where the criteria came from was actually what would be to get an 80% reduction in energy because I knew from my work in Vancouver that if the building code in Germany was a building code in Arizona, our buildings would use 80% less energy. So to me, it's okay, well, let's have a competition to design a home that's equivalent to the building code in Germany. Wow. <laughs> and can, and probably the biggest criteria, like, you know, I'd say, yes, a HERS 30, but I think the other one is that, and built at the cost of current construction. So it's not that, oh, well, certainly people said you could do it, but you couldn't do it at right. the cost of current construction. What did the cost work out to be? Do you have like a, a factor of dollars per square foot? 
Yeah, the $160 a square foot. Wow, is where the design ended up. Congratulations. Tell me a little bit about the process at your firm. How did you brainstorm the concepts? Where did you start from? Well, the first thing that I did was locate the primary team members because in order to really achieve this, I needed really the best mechanical engineer and a really good HERS rating specialist who would collaborate with me from the beginning. And so my first team member was the HERS rating specialist who joined us. And then our engineering team had a lot of expertise in non-traditional ventilating that was able to be used to save energy on the systems. And so that those were my first moves to find the right team. And then working with the HERS Raider, we developed a standard for the actual building performance envelope. And that's where we started. What would be the actual overall envelope rating for both insulation, performance, and lack of air movement through to the from the outside to the inside? The well, containment, the tightness of the structure. Yes. And when I say the envelope, I say it because in some ways, what's really important about this effort and the reason why the costs are so achievable is that for new construction, it's quite simple to actually achieve this kind of performance. Mm -hmm. And that's really the message that I'm hoping we're going to get out with this project is that really there's no reason not to be able to achieve this kind of rating with new construction. It's quite simple. There's a variety of methodologies that you could use to assemble the wall, et cetera, and they're all very easy construction. There's nothing specialized about it. So, Mark, give us some background. You're the uh, chief sustainability officer for the city of Phoenix. How did you get to this point? In my career, you in, mean? In your or, career, yeah. So, I actually I you have a green building maybe. background. So, I was originally in a utility offering incentives, like as a demand-side management manager, offering incentives to builders to kind of do implement things within their buildings, and so gave utility incentives. And one of the frustrations I had was just like, oh, if only cities would just make the codes, like just why are we pay giving incentives to do things that have two-year paybacks on buildings? Mm. The code should be anything that actually pays back in the top first five years should just be mandatory from a code perspective. Like why are we doing this to consumers who are buying the home and would have to bunch more expensive retrofits? So I'd actually, my first opportunity was joining the city of Vancouver in sustainability. I actually said to one of the people in the planning department, I said, there is... I list a dozen things that we could do to homes that would improve the performance of homes and it would have a two to three year payback. And he says, oh, well, give me a list and we'll put them in our code. And I said, really? Wow. And so I had been there three months. I gave my list to them. And the following spring, they were actually in Vancouver's code. It's called the Green Homes Program. And we actually implemented it in the code. So it was pretty quick. It was like, wow, that was easy. And so we did several versions after that because mm -hmm. I did sort of, it was, but it was really interesting. And so... I learned a lot about wall systems and energy performance. And so I became kind of like the home, green home expert in the mm -hmm. region of learning about what we could do and worked with a lot of engineering firms on designing homes that are green. So what drew you to Phoenix? Well, it was a great time. We in Vancouver, it was our goal to be the greenest city in the world by 2020. And it mm -hmm. was going very well. And I'd actually, with my peers, said, you know, it'd be... Now that we're sort of in a Gallup mode in Vancouver, it'd be interesting to take it to another city. And I saw the opportunity and I thought I wouldn't come to Phoenix. Like I thought, oh, my wife will never want to come because I've been born and raised in Vancouver. And she said, I've never, I wanted to live somewhere warm all my life. <laughs> so I said, oh, well, maybe I'll apply then. And next thing you know, here I am in Phoenix. Fantastic. So the design itself, I think it's important to state that it's a freely available set of plans, correct? Yes, it's available on the City of Phoenix website for download. Is it tailored to the climate 
for Phoenix or is it adaptable for other areas? So the key characteristics is the exterior envelope performance, which actually would be a factor in cold climates mm-hmm. as much as Phoenix. And so I think it's adaptable to throughout the U.S. How many downloads have there been? Have you tracked the availability of Yeah, the- we actually, our IT department had set the original download cap at 5,000 uh-huh. uh, before they stored addresses. So it stopped saving them after 5,000. We hit 5,000 downloads and I'm going like, what? So <laughs> we actually upped the number. So IT department upped the number. And so I'm going to get a current count of how many since that we did lose quite a number of storing them after 5,000, but I'm assuming it's not much higher than that. But how about the interaction? Any feedback? From people have downloaded it? Yeah, so I'd had about five different cities that want to run a similar competition. No kidding. So they're saying, hey, give us all your materials, give us all your... <laughs> so I did want to jump back just about criteria, and I sure. think that's really important. We talked about some of the key ones, which is the HERS performance, and there's a couple other criteria that I think are really important. One was said that it had to be beautiful, that for something to be... That's part of replicating nature and everything is certainly beauty is a very important part of the human element and so it had to be beautiful and the other one was widely applicable and adoptable so not something that would be like a one-off like a really unique home like some really strange looking geometric Mm -hmm. box of some sort or something that just other people wouldn't necessarily want to build it actually had to be something that we saw as suitable for widespread adoption so it was certainly the judging panel which had about half of them were architects were it was very much an element in the judging component to look at something that they could see as sort of became the phoenix special that there could be hundreds of them around the city and people wouldn't mind replicating it has any construction started yet no, we've. it took a while because actually after we launched, Phoenix changed its building code to 2018. And then we said, well, okay, well, we won't really promote it. Let's update the building code first. And then we took a while to sort of, and when we brought the new building code in, it affected some of the design elements. So it was back to the, back to the drawing <laughs> um, so boards. we updated those. And so it's been really great working with Marlene on this because she's been very, okay, no worries. All, all good. Because <laughs> it was like, because <laughs> it's like, how can we have something that doesn't even work in our code? So it was really fortunate. So eventually we had one. And of course, working through planning as always, they're pretty like, this is how we do things. Right. And so it did, the fact that the city was sponsoring it didn't seem to help that matter too much, <laughs> which was somewhat of a surprise to me, but it was, but it, whatever, it took a while. And I'm glad we have a very persistent architect that was able to be good at working with them. And so eventually, yeah, so it was just last year, we actually had the plans that were available in the current version of the code, the 2018 IECC, which is the good news is because it's the most current code, it can be used basically in any city in the U.S. Carolyn, you have some interesting background. We chatted before we started here, and you talked about how designs like these are more natural to you. Can you explain a little bit about that? So I grew up in India for a good half of my life. I grew up without any air conditioning. So all the designs that I basically built in India were passive solar homes. So when I moved to the U.S., the word that you use, I'm going to grab that word, I had to recalibrate my brain to think about systems and how to integrate or marry passive and active together. So it's been an interesting mix and it's been an interesting challenge to kind of communicate the essence of passive design to clients and merge it and marry it with active design. I wanted to add one more thing about the criteria. You had asked earlier as to why we didn't have any registrants for the competition from around uh, the country. We did get a lot of calls, but one of the criteria was we wanted to use local registered architects in the state of Arizona. 
So that was important to us because we felt that the local architects really understood the place and it was important for us to engage them in this conversation of building sustainable homes. So back to Mark, the city of Phoenix has a sustainability goal and that's your office, basically? Yes. So uh, Phoenix adopted a goal to have all buildings, well, by 2050, all buildings net positive in energy and materials. So not just the component, but it's interesting as you get towards, and I think certainly the next trend in buildings will be as homes get to be next zero, then they're going to start looking, okay, what's the embodied energy within mm-hmm. those products? Because Right now, for most homes, 80% of the energy is actually in the operating and not so much. So they've kind of ignored somehow the embodied energy. But when a home is net zero in terms of energy, well, then its entire carbon footprint is actually from the materials you're including in that. So I'm moving towards energy and materials net positive. So in other words, where buildings will... Imagine buildings that actually provide an ecosystem service, actually maybe clean the air or do things like that in the future. So trying to think about buildings as providing a service instead of just slowly contaminating ecosystems with persistent chemicals within the uh, materials. Marlene, how do you find the availability of information to make these kind of decisions and choices? Was it an easy project? So the project in terms of materials, we're very knowledgeable about uh, material impact on the environment and sustainable features and recycle aspects of materials. The thing that for our office, because we do not focus on doing builder homes, the biggest challenge for us was getting very quickly up to speed on HERS criteria and the elements that really mattered in terms of that rating system. I think that was the key. But it's still very similar to energy efficiency standards across the world, right? Mm -hmm. How do you maintain an envelope? How do you minimize equipment that's used for cooling and heating? That's the same principles that we use for all our projects. Would you say there's anything about the design that people would not expect, some characteristic or feature? I think that uh, one of the best ways to quickly conceive to understand how efficient it is, is the actual solar panels required to completely operate the house require only about one-fourth of the roof of this small house. So people visualize, I think it's the best visual indication of how comprehensive sustainable design really saves energy. It's not just that we're going to use the solar panels, it's that we really don't need very many solar panels because the building is so efficient to begin with. And I'd say that's been kind of the biggest surprise that people look at and it clicks right away. What? The whole roof is not full of solar panels just to run it. I'd say that's been interesting. So that's paradigm breaking Mm -hmm. back to what Carolyn talked about. Oh, I was just going to comment. And one of the things, and probably a lot of your listeners are aware of, is that, and one of the challenges we had with this was that hers is not necessarily well designed for net zero buildings. It's really good for, hey, here's a typical home and here's slightly better than a typical home. But as you try to model and include features of high-performance buildings and net-zero buildings, uh, HERS doesn't represent them well or give credit for many of the features you may use, such as there's actually screens that move and protect a first line of defense against heat coming into the building. And so there's nothing in that for HERS to recognize. And so, and that's where we came up with HERS 30, was that it was in light of if it was truly a perfect model, it would have been like HERS 10 or something mm-hmm. like that. But because HERS kind of breaks down, when you get closer and closer to zero, the worse it gets, that in that sense, we kind of went with HERS 30. But it is essentially, like I said, or 80 or 90% less energy than a typical home. And wow. most homes are around the her in Phoenix are around HERS 62. So it is kind of 80% less than that. 
I was going to ask you, Marlene, about some details about the home so people can imagine their minds, like the square footage, number of stories, layout, that kind of thing. So it's one story. It's about 2,000 square feet. It fits on a very small urban lot, relatively small. 60 by 100 is a standard city of Phoenix lot in, in the urban, the more center city areas. And I think some of the characteristics are that it is a fairly flexible layout, and so it's contemporary in that the spaces are not from room to room, but there's some ability to meld spaces within them, and all the primary living space is open to exterior views and some exterior courts. The house is oriented to have a front porch to the street. One of the things I feel strongly about is that as we build houses, that streetscape is still important. We need to have people at the street in our neighborhoods. And so that opens to the street there. And then we do incorporate uh, passive ways of cooling that are not able to be measured by, the, by hers. Hmm. So things like we have a natural ventilation system that takes the heat from below and then exits it through the roof. And uh, that's something that works quite well. It's not very well understood, but it's quite passive, extremely cheap to do. And it doesn't require anything mechanical except to open the louvers. And the key thing there in terms of characteristics is that you do need windows to be able to operate at a low level so the air can come in, and then you need the high release on the top of the roof. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. For a stack effect to take Correct. place? Yeah. How about the orientation of the lots? Do the lots favor the roof orientation to optimize solar? So this was really important to me that this be able to work anywhere. And in the desert, of course, orientation is quite important. And so what is incorporated is each of the primary large glazing areas has direct uh, fabric screens that are located six feet off the roof of the building encompasses a simple rectangle and the fabric screens are at the edge of that so they don't stick out of the roof area. And the key thing there then is that there is no requirement for orientation for performance because the fabric screens prevent direct sun on all the major glass areas, which is one of the keys for and These are exterior screens? Correct. Okay, yeah. wow. Is there a rendering that accompanies yes. the drawing set? Mm -hmm. Okay, because right, these beautiful features are going to be, perhaps for some, hard to imagine. Yes. We didn't talk about this, but there actually was a prize. Maybe, Carolyn, you could tell us a little about the prize and how that was funded and those kind of details. So, Mark, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but when the competition was floated, whoever was the winner of the competition would get $100,000 as the prize money to develop construction documents, and funding basically came from the Department of Education. Oh, sorry, Energy. Department of Energy. Department of Energy. Uh, <laughs> I've got education on my mind. Federal? Or? Yes, federal DOE, yeah. Congratulations again, Marlene, on uh, being awarded the prize. And did that cover your costs? <laughs> no. No, it did not. It's okay. I was eyes wide open. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got into this for a reason. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I have. Yeah, I'm very, very happy I've done it. So you actually got some interesting press here. I was sent a link to a... Uh, Fast Company magazine article. How did that come about? As we talked about it, and it came out in several like magazines, did some little just stories on it and gave a call. They just thought it was interesting. And then that in turn generated other people to build awareness. And so that's how other cities heard about it and started saying they want to run a competition like this. This sounds really interesting. So it's interesting. I think it's unique in that I think it's a very doable idea, this concept of imagine open source plans that people can download for free and here's how to do it. Like if you say it can't be done, that was one of the things that was so 
almost frustrating is you just hearing from builders saying you can't do it. And I go, well, no, I totally know that you can build, mm-hmm. you know, at the cost of construction, do it. I know how to do this. Here's how you do it. You build a wall, you can build a two by six with split insulation and mineral wool on the outside or, or XPS. And here's how, you know, and so kind of said, and you can do that. I knew very well the cost. We'd actually done all the cost modeling in Vancouver when we put in our building code and showed it was almost no incremental cost for doing this. So I think a lot of other cities and other wanted to see, wanted to learn about it. In the solar aspect, that's taken it to net zero, so that you went beyond the HERS 30. Is that correct? Yes, we submitted for the competition at the HERS 30, and then we showed that it could go to net zero with the photovoltaic panels installed. And that was one of the nice retrofits, kind of after the fact, as we were talking about it. We said, well, actually, Monique, when we sweep the plans, could you also kind of add in, in hindsight, optional characteristics of the solar, a battery, and EV charging? Just because we're sort of, in hindsight now, I think, yeah, we should have maybe had that as criteria, and you know, to say add that as an extra. So it was really good working with Marlene and her being able to say, oh, you know what, we'd be glad to do that. Is it a market rate home, would you say? Well, I mean, it's... For cost. Yes. So that's pretty much a typical cost of construction that you'd see for a lot of new homes. So I would say, you know, if you're adding the solar, the EV charging, the battery, that may be a little bit more, but really for building a home for just a little over 300,000 is actually quite typical what you might see here in Phoenix. And the other cities that are interested, can you name them? Do you feel comfortable saying that? I actually, I know Philadelphia was one of them. And then um, I'm trying to think of the one in the East Coast that was over, yeah, in North Carolina. I'm trying to think of the city name, but I can't think of them. And the publicity in Fast Company, what did it net for your office of sustainability? I think from, we are a lot of headlines in Phoenix Mm -hmm. from all our, every time we hit a record temperature and heat Mm -hmm. or a lot of our sustainability goals and things that we've done. So anytime we do something with water, we seem to get a lot of international press on that too. So I think this is just part of our whole sustainability program that there's been some really innovative things that have happened in the city for other departments as well as mine. And so I think this is just part of It's interesting that Phoenix was ranked the number one innovative city by Governing Magazine, and I think that that kind of speaks to, I'm glad to be part of that too. So So what's next on the docket? Is there a follow-up coming? I'm looking in his eyes right now. and I can see Well, saying. actually, we had a number of comments that were people are, were criticizing and saying, oh, well, sustainable is not 2,000 square feet or 2,200 square feet. Sustainable is 800 square feet. You should have done a tiny home because that's truly what sustainable is. Like, well, you know, it'd be pretty tough for a family of four in a tiny home. Yeah. But it's like, no, this is actually what most people are wanting and desiring. You need to have room for guests and those kind of things. But I have thought of, do we want to run a, another one for a smaller footprint home that could be of certain niche or maybe like a, a fourplex or something like that that would accommodate. But it's, in many ways, there's lots of opportunities to do different things. Maybe it's just a builder competition to incorporate some of the features to actually get just there better performing go. homes of existing criteria. So, no, I'm still thinking and open to ideas of what we could do. And I will provide your email addresses, if that's okay, in the show notes. And that way, if someone who's listening uh, wants to get in touch and learn a little bit more, and of course, I'll put a link to the plans. They'll both be in the, the show notes. Can I add a comment on the sure. tiny home component of it? I lived, and when I grew up in India, I grew up in a 550-square-foot home for four, for five people, I should say. And I think it's a, more than tiny homes. You've got to size it right because everyone thrives in a certain amount of space. And I think it's misunderstood that uh, sustainability is only related to small. There are various ways to get there. 
You just have to figure out what is the right way to get there for you personally. Personally, yeah. Very, very interesting. That strikes a chord with me, as we talked about earlier. So, We've covered uh, a lot of the topic here. I want to make sure we do it justice and give each one of you a, a chance for a closing thought. Marlene, I'll start with you. I'm really hoping that the downloads show people how actually simple it is to do a highly sustainable home. And so really the exemption would be to not do it. There's no oh. reason not to do it. Make it the norm and not the exception. Right. There you go. Mark, please. One of my being now 18 years kind of involved with building codes and wanting builders to do more is one of the things that I had perceived as frustration is builders always like to do things the same way. And even if they see a slightly better way that could save them a little bit, they tend to want to just keep doing it the way they've always done it just because of it's easier. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is that if we actually get them doing things a certain way, a better way, then it will be kind of sticky for them. So I do want to have them an open to try to have builders start doing things and build like this, they may say, actually, this is pretty easy and it's pretty straightforward. And I think I'll keep doing it this way. So that's my hope is that as builders just take the big step and start designing them much more efficient instead mm -hmm. of leaving it on the homeowner to just pay those bigger, larger energy bills, that it'll kind of stick with them and they'll continue to want to do it the same way. Thank you. Carolyn. For me, it's the reason this competition was intriguing is the whole idea of doing more with less. And to start with the at the time you're thinking about ideas is to start with the right approach. So I would leave your audience with doing more with less. Thank you. Well, it was interesting, informative for me, and I hope for those listeners too. And I want to thank you for joining me here. It's an early morning in Phoenix at the Resnat Conference 2020. And I want to thank you for your time, Marlene, Mark, and Caroline. Thank you, listeners, and we look forward to sharing more with you from the conference and with other aspects of the conference on the Res Talk podcast. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast, and we hope you heard some interesting things. Now, if you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more, to find out all the great resources, information, things about the standards, the codes, everything going on at ResNet. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter with the handle ResNetUS. Here's a quote for today. Happiness lies in the joy of achievement and the thrill of creative effort. That's by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I think that sort of embodies the thoughts and the feelings and the spirit that I heard recording this episode with Mark, Marlene, and Carolyn. After listening, if you like what you heard today, you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk, R-E-S-T-A-L-K, into the search bar in the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Music, or Stitcher, or any of the other podcast services out there. There's so many today. This way you get all the episodes as soon as they launch. You can also listen in your browser by following the links at resnet.us forward slash professional. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Res Talk podcast, and we welcome you back to the next episode really soon. Take care, all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.